Welcome to the PR Moment Podcast. Produced in association with the Marketeers Network. This week on the PMO podcast, we're chatting to Nicole Yost, CEO at Have Us Just, and Corinne Baird, who is head of digital at Have Us Just. Um, and we're going to chat about the incredible year that healthcare PR has had. We're going to discuss the top, top healthcare trends currently uh, and what excellence in this buoyant sector of public relations looks like. Before we start, just a quick promo from me about our stunning selection of free webinars that we've got coming up, ranging from PR and TikTok, Changing Your Measurement Mindset from Output to Impact, and Correlation or Causation, the link between corporate reputation and business performance. And if you want to come along to the PMM Awards in Manchester on the 12th of May, tickets are still available. Thanks as ever to our PR Moment podcast sponsors, the PRCA. Nicole and Corin, welcome to the show. Hi there, nice to see you. Good to see you. So come on in. First of all, for let's put this in some context, shall we? I reckon I've been in PR since about 2004. Um, and during that time, healthcare PR just seems to have been this constant upwards trajectory. Um, mm. But the last year has been a year like no other, hasn't it? It really has. I mean, like you, uh, I've always had a sort of busy year in healthcare, uh, as, as you just noted. But yeah, it's true to say that healthcare is really having something of a moment for sure. Um, and everyone I speak with in, in, in the sector is experiencing this. And for us personally, we, we grew by about 50% last year um, and we nearly doubled our headcount. So, uh, and that was without pitching. So that was all organic growth, pretty much. Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely having a moment. And on a, on a personal level, I joined the business as CEO during lockdown in the height of this. So sort of managing lockdown and COVID and growth was, has certainly been interesting. So could you just give us a quick insight into, into Have Us Just then. You're, you've grown 50% in the last year. How many employees have you got now? What's the sort of size of the business? So we're around 70, uh, okay. plus or minus a few great freelancers. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we sort of divide our business into sort of PR and advocacy on sort of the one business unit and then another sort of medcoms and marketing business unit which is much more the the medical communication side okay now you know i am what i would describe as a um a non-passionate but interested observer of the healthcare pr market in the uk what um what's driven that growth i mean it's presumably not all down to covid is it i I don't know (laughs) no it's not all down to covid i think it's really the value that we can bring as agencies so expanding beyond that traditional pr comms to support across across the whole sort of communication suite so everything from patient engagement work digital strategies which can talk a bit more to uh, content and creative and I think but, what, also, but what's happened in the last year because I mean it's I get but that's all been a trend over the last I don't know 10 years hasn't it I, and I, I imagine that's all in, accelerated but in the last year is that is it just been is, is that it is it all it's just all come together is that as simple so. as that I think so. And I think there's also, it's fair to say that in-house pharma teams are sometimes quite lean um, and some of their models are changing. So without going into the detail, rather than having regional, it's a lot global to local. And so agencies can come in and support more in between. Okay. Um, and, and certainly, you know, with our with our clients, that's been true. Okay. So the ecosystem of the sort of client agency relationship has, has changed a little bit. 
It has. And I think, and again, uh, you know, when Corinne talks a bit about digital, he can share some examples. But I do think that, you know, arguably healthcare been a bit a bit slow to on the uptake in terms of digital, but that really has driven some of the growth. So a lot of the, a lot of the work we're doing is, is, is in that space. Um, and much of the growth has come from there as well. And it hasn't just been that there's loads of because I know sometimes there can be peaks with healthcare as a lot of lot of successful drugs come onto the market in a, in a bit of a cycle and it hasn't I'm sure that's been part of it but you don't put this this great year solely down solely down to that. No, I don't think so. I think more and more pharma are looking at corporate reputation and that might may or may not be a result of uh, of the COVID effect. Um, so we've seen a bit of that. Um, and I just think, yeah, they, they've got money. Um, they're doing more PR than advertising because they're realising they can get more bang for their buck in, in, in terms of PR um, and, and earned rather than, rather than doing a lot of advertising. So I think some of the budgets are shifting across as well. I also think with, over the last couple of years, uh, farmers proved that they can move quickly as well. Um, with the lockdown, the way things have changed so rapidly before people, uh, farmers was quite tentative, whereas now they prove they, they can get things out and they can get things to market, especially using digital channels a lot faster than they have done before. And that's really driven some growth as well. And you just mentioned advertising there. I mean, you know, there's always this PRs taking market share from advertising or vice versa and it you know it goes up and down doesn't it well where is it in healthcare I mean, you do you compete much against the advertising guys in healthcare i'm imagining because of the rules and regulations of the market it's markedly less than other areas of pr but maybe i haven't quite got that right i think yeah i, I mean without yeah I think for us, um, the, the advertising piece is, is outside of the UK, obviously. So direct-to-consumer advertising would be more in the US. Um, and of course, we do see a lot of creative agencies, you know, as competitors as well. Right. So, and we tend to collaborate within the Havas group. We tend to collaborate with, with the creative agencies as well, of course. Right. Um, but I think, yeah, I think more and more, they're just realizing that the value of, of, of healthcare PR and, and sort of the outcomes that we can give. Um, and like you say, it's, it's been a, a, a busy and constant upwards trajectory, but I do think the last year, you know, for us certainly and for others I've spoken to has been even more of a, even more of a boom. Yeah, I mean, 50% growth is remarkable, isn't it? You talked about a bit about COVID there, um, Nicole, just as we were in your last point. The, I don't know, as a, as a very educated observer of um, the communications of the various COVID vaccines, um, it must have been interesting to watch the sort of pharma sector go from hero, if you like, uh, sorry, villain, I should say, to hero um, mm. in those as that early period of um, of 2020. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sure they're heroes quite yet, but but yeah, pharma. Well, they were for they were for a couple of weeks. Anyway. Uh, yeah, for a couple of, <laughs> I mean, I think what's nice for me, you know, they have pharma has had this window of opportunity to show the value of vaccines and indeed other medicines that they're making, and to show that innovation and R and D can and, and and does you know save lives, and that's a really powerful message. Um, and it's been nice to see because in 20 plus years of working in this sector, I've, I've seen pharma get a really hard time reputationally. Um, so I think that comes back to what, what we touched on in terms of corporate reputation and increasing work there. But um, yeah, the communications have been um, have been mixed, shall we say. And I think the responses is, uh, certainly in the UK to some of the farmers uh, have been mixed as well. I mean, do you, yeah, I mean, it's, it's so hard to come to a conclusion on it, but um, to what extent, I suppose, were the, were the poor communications from some of the pharmaceutical industry, certainly not all, responsible for, for getting that anti-vax um, debate, I don't know, gaining a bit of momentum, do you think? 
Yeah, I mean, I think that there's always been an anti-vax movement for whatever vaccine, but I think the amount of noise out there for people online and everywhere you look, there's just so much and it's really confusing for people um, and it can be challenging. Uh, I think responding in the wrong way, though, just just makes it worse. So no one likes to be told that they must be vaccinated or that they or that they're wrong or even worse, that they're stupid somehow. Um, and, you know, look, some people have made up their minds and they're, they're not into vaccines. But I think that, you know, for those that are vaccine hesitants, um, you know, some some really good information, clear communications can can help to sort of, you know, educate and, and, and support, you know, a different point of view, potentially. So, again, that that comes down to you know, behaviour change and also looking at, you know, listening before before broadcasting information, I guess. So what the, the key challenge was to, to try and move the the, the 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 people who are hesitant about a vaccine towards taking one um, yeah. as opposed to the other way. In essence, there are, there are, as you say, there are always going to be some who just don't like being told what to do. Exactly that. Yeah, quite right. Um, you mentioned behavioural change there, um, and we talked about it in our in, a, in our pre-show chat. And yeah, you know, all of PR is is talking quite rightly about behaviour change at the moment. Um, but when I just heard you guys talk, it just seemed to me that um, maybe maybe healthcare was a little bit ahead of of some of the other areas of of um, public relations when it came to comms that drove behaviour change. Just just talk us through some of the, the stuff that's going on in healthcare at the moment on that side of things. Yeah, it's an interesting one because it seems to be very, you know, cool at the moment and in vogue to talk about behaviour change. And I, I would say before it was fashionable, you know, healthcare communicators, healthcare PR, we were all about purpose um, before before that was vogue. And I think it's the same for, for behaviour change, really. Um, so what we do is we, we sort of look to understand the beliefs, behaviours of healthcare professionals, of patients, of people, um, and how we can sort of change interactions and applying various behaviour change tools to achieve better outcomes. So what that might mean is, you know, something around lifestyle, you know, go to a doctor, talk about diet, exercise, alcohol consumption, giving up smoking, whatever it might be. Or, for example, in healthcare, you know, adherence to your medication, actually taking your, your drugs um, or, or, get, or choosing to take a vaccine, as we've just touched on, for either yourself or, or your child. So I think that's always been, you know, the aim of good communications in healthcare. Um, but, but now there's more sort of science and rigour behind it. There's lots of behaviour change specialists coming in. There's lots of agencies doing good work in this space um, and using sort of storytelling and data to communicate complex medical and, and scientific uh, uh, issues. I mean, do you think the, um, I mean, in a sense, behaviour change has always been a pretty significant objective of, of every marketing campaign going, hasn't it? So, but, but, so what's changed in that sense? I mean, I get there's more, there's more data around that, that potentially create, creates more insight, but you talked a bit about there about behavioural change tools and techniques. What just, I mean, there's a, there's a thesis and a, a two hour podcast there. Don't get me wrong, but just give us a little insight into what, what yeah. you're talking about there. So we, don't, we won't. Yeah, we won't go into sort of combi and all the models and things. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, a lot of a lot of agencies are doing this now, as, as you probably know, um, looking at sort of walking the talk in behavior change. So actually measuring it um, and actually looking at the outcomes and, and, and the changes in, in behavior. So um of course, it's always it's always good to have a metric and to be able to move somebody to do something different. Um, and, and like you say, it was ever thus. But I think what we have now is better tools, better analysis and, and, and more in, in healthcare, certainly more refined ways of looking at that. Cool, I guess that kind of segues nicely into your your digital side of things, doesn't it? Because it's presumably that is a, all that data um, can be pretty well hosted on digital, if you like. 
Absolutely. Um, I mean, data is such a massive part of digital now, but digital itself has become such a big part of the, of the healthcare comms world. I mean, before it, you know, the GP surgery, if you build it, they will come. Um, that's as out of date. It's an old model. Uh, everybody, especially you look over COVID, uh, everybody was communicating uh, and finding information through their phone, through tablets, through being at their computers, working from home. And that's not just that. Whilst you're on your computer, there's so many different, so many different channels that you're on as well. You know, no one just watches BBC One anymore. They watch the whole ream of everything. So you need to make sure, being a digital, you're in all these different channels too, and make sure you put the right information out there. What does that mean for health? I mean, I, I'm just listening to you talk there. I'm thinking, what does that, what does that mean for me in the NHS? But what does that mean for for healthcare brands? Because in in a sense, there's there's almost infinite there's infinite channels and almost infinite questions from people, isn't it? So it's it, it can be it could become quite overwhelming and frankly expensive quite quickly. Yeah, it is. Um, I think you know the 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 um, pharma companies need to be careful where they're going to be. They need to make sure that the things they put out also are are shareable too. That you know they can put them in one place, but you have these communities where you know people can share this information. Uh, they can post. They can you know put comments underneath it and. It's a the big part of it is making something that you can pass on to somebody else if, if right. that information is right. But it's shown that, you know, all types of information should be passed on. Um, as Nicole said, you know, some of the anti-vax stuff, but you need to make sure that the right information is there to be able to be read. So are you sort of concentrating on the on the information and the content side of it? Because a, a lot of the stuff we talked about before was the community as well. But in that sense, does, does the content and the insight drive the community or, or are you trying to, I don't know, play a role in establishing and building those communities as well? Very much both. Okay. Um, we, I think it's important to build these communities, especially for us. We have broadly two main audiences, a healthcare professional audience um, and a patient audience or patient and care audience. Now, these are, they're very different and people are able to talk to them in very different ways. Obviously in the UK and in a lot of countries, we can't um, talk direct to consumer with, with medications, um, but we can give them a lot of information about types of treatments, um, about disease awareness, but also support. Um, there's some, you know, we've, we work with some rare disease clients. There's some communities where there could be someone in Norfolk talking to someone in Auckland because their children both have the same rare disease. This is a, the type of value of a community and they're really vocal online and they talk a lot and they offer a lot of, of support to each other because, you know, they're not the only person going through this. And I think that's a massive value that we can, we can maintain and give more information to. But then on the other side, we've got the healthcare professional community. They want to be able to talk about um, case studies they've had, peer-to-peer, uh, -peer, proper deep conversations about new drugs or, or new therapy areas. And they need to be able to do that in a safe space uh, where, you know, they, they can talk freely. Um, so you can build closed communities. You can have private groups or smaller groups where they can talk safely online uh, and, and, and learn from each other. And what I mean, it's a bit of a boring question, but what sort of channel does that does that all happen? Do you, is that about WhatsApp groups? Are you setting up a Facebook group? Is it a LinkedIn group or do you have a, a, a more bespoke private community networking tool that you tend to use? It can be a total number of them. I mean, you've got Twitter spaces you can use. You've got you can be on Facebook. So personally, I think the some health professionals prefer to be on something that maybe wouldn't necessarily be a social network. 
because you know from in their mind it's it's a bit more social <laughs> but there's things like sermo which is a healthcare professional only uh, social network or you can look at some of the medical publishers they have spaces and and things that you can use on there which you have to be logged in and verified in order to to access that information and have that conversation Right. Okay. Um, I suppose, and you know, good old chat rooms from uh, from the consumer side of things, they seem to. Whenever I'm sort of looking up, when something's wrong with me, you go on and you can find a chat room pretty quickly. Or it's like 1985 again, isn't it? Or, or oh, maybe yeah. not quite that. Maybe 1995. I don't know. But <laughs> oh my goodness, I can barely remember that far back. <laughs> when I have my AOL login, um, but no, absolutely, um, forums are increase in, insanely valuable. Um, you have a lot of charity. Um, charity websites they have a very strong uh forum section where people can offer that support the big thing for them um is it's just authenticity uh it's when people hear a false question trying to drive an answer people turn off mm. having that real honest supportive conversation is a thing that's going to it's the money shot you know that's where people are going to feel open and and want to want to have that conversation so what what drives? Talked a bit about it, but what does drive the the creation of that community? It's it's I suppose it's a need, is it? But then, yeah. what's the role of the farmer brand, or how can they help? I suppose is in that sense. I think they can facilitate. Um, they can definitely help with uh, building that community, working with with patient groups, and you know it's it always is is useful to have a, a little bit of budget behind it enable to enable those conversations and build that space um, because they have access to you know patient groups in different countries so that can really enable the, those people to talk so I think in that sense they can really facilitate and join people together right. and they can also you know they have they're a trusted generally they're a trusted place to have the the background information they've done years of research into a certain drug or therapy area which they can share the benefit of their experience as long as it's done in a in a language that's suitable for that group. I've often seen where, you know, you can have a, a healthcare professional in a patient group and they're just talking doctor language. It doesn't work. People want to be able to have a, like we're having a conversation, it feels natural and they want to be able to speak like that and not be talked at. Mm. Uh, and that's a real power of these communities if the, the pharma, um, pharma company is going to get involved as well. Right. And, and just to point out the obvious, I mean, I guess what you can't do is try and say, this drug XYZ is quite a good, quite a good solution for this for this problem. Absolutely not. Unless you want to go to prison. <laughs> but you can have a specialist who's been treating that, who also works with the farming company, and can give the benefit of their experience. Uh, obviously, these things are monitored, um, and uh, there there are strict rules that we all have to ab abide by. Uh, but I think it's yeah, it's those introductions and having those conversations which give that value. Right, and I mean just to. These things can go on forever, right? I mean, a community, if it's at the, the I guess the point of a successful community is it, it does go on forever, doesn't it? Different people come in and take it on, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, these are potentially long-term things and that has implications for budgets, right? Yeah, um, uh, I'm pleased you said that. It's a bit of a bugbear of mine. Um, I've done many campaigns where, you know, uh, companies have spent a lot of money building a community which has lasted for their, their um, their PR budget for three months, six months. The people we're talking to, and you spend a lot of time building this community, may have a chronic disease, which goes on, like you say, for years. So for me, it's looking at the beginning, is if you're going to get this conversation started, you need to invest in the conversation continuing. Um, it's not just a tick box of, I've, I've finished this campaign. It's, we're building a community where people can talk safely. 
and we need to make sure that they're enabled to and they're supported throughout that the time and just not dropped um so where where we work really hard especially here at just where we want to maintain that conversation we have long editorial calendars and saying we need to have the next step of the journey i hate saying journey it sounds like pop idol um but it's maintaining that conversation for for a longer time period i, I, I suspect i know the answer to this but there presumably in theory anyway is a um you could get a few of the farmer brands to club together and and build these communities together but i'm guessing that doesn't happen <laughs> um i think that's a golden fleece um, <laughs> it would be great i think you know there are some some areas with rare disease or maybe where a treatment is a combination of drugs anyway um where you know that could happen um but yeah i think that would be uh it would be lovely if that happened it, more it'd be too sensible <laughs> The influencer side of things always intrigued me in, in consumer health. Um, and you talked a bit about it before, Corinne. I mean, in essence, it's a bit it's a bit weird. Some of these things, isn't it? You see an influencer, I don't know, putting I don't know. I don't want to make it a cliche, but something, you know, doing something to, for their health. And clearly there is there is it's it all feels a bit forced, and a bit paid for. Um, and I'm just, I, thinking about that with it, with it in a consumer health way. It's, where are we on that currently is is that still happening is it is it increasing is it happening more often or is that is that people start to see through that a bit i think it's a very interesting point um just to think outside health for a second i was reading an article about coachella which has just happened uh the last time coachella was on the influencers were being swamped with people who were trying to take photos and you know put them on their feeds or whatever this coachella uh the influence was looking the influencers were looking very very lonely uh, people who wanted to talk to were the TikTokers, um, who are much more authentic. Everyone knows that someone is paid to hold up a product and say, look, it's great, and put it on the Instagram feed um, as an influencer. Whereas with TikTok, people have this, this rawness. Uh, yeah, they're quite still all. paid, though, aren't they? Sometimes they are, yeah. but often they're still their own content maker, um, and they may be work with but it's not so blatant as look i'm holding this product it's i've bought this i've got this group and and i'm doing something that's still me they're mm. still making their own content which is very real i also think the video piece shows a lot more authenticity than someone stood there in a picture because mm. sorry the camera does lie <laughs> whereas if you see something that is made uh with a video you often tend to see something that's a, often uh, tends to be a little bit more real and I think people have have twigged that influence. Yes, they're very useful, and yeah, we can still have uh, patient influences if you like. But it's that authenticity and the realness which which people are now connecting with. Give me an idea for a, I don't know maybe my Instagram feed the most the most awkward um, influencer um, paid for paid for videos or something. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, come on, just we're almost out of time. Um, actually, maybe this one's for you, Nicole, and I think about it. Um, there's, there's been a shortage of talent in healthcare PR, but it's for, forever, basically, isn't it? You know, this isn't something new. Um, and it just, I've, it's, it, it, I just wonder whether, again, healthcare is a little bit ahead of some of the other ele elements of PR because it, it's become quite a freelanced, well, there's a greater percentage of freelance workers in healthcare PR than any, any other area of PR, I think it's fair to say, isn't it? Um, is that is that continuing to accelerate or is has that sort of leveled off? 
Mm, so we've always worked, I've always worked in throughout my career with really good freelancers. And I think it's the nature of the work. So, you know, you come in, sometimes it's project based or, you know, there's a particular campaign that you need extra help and then, you know, it, it wanes. Um, but it's certainly true that the competition is, is heating up in this space as everyone's seeing healthcare as a, as a hot area. It's hugely competitive and, and talent is our biggest challenge. So finding and retaining talent is, 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 is a challenge. That, and like I say, the competition is growing. So agencies that never had healthcare, building healthcare practices, our competition is expanding into sort of management consultancies, digital firms, et cetera. So it's, it's, there's only a certain pool of people, right? So, and, and more people are going freelance and becoming consultants um, sort of for the lifestyle and, 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 and everything that comes with it. So yeah, it's, it's a challenge. Uh, we love our freelancers. Obviously we've had, you know, IR35 coming in, which means that we can't quite work with them in the same way. So. Go on, just just give us give, give people a little insight into that because that's quite interesting isn't it is it uh... <laughs> well, I, I just think it's interesting from an agency management perspective isn't it because um and a lot of agency ceos listen to this podcast because you can't you can't have a, the same relationship with your freelancers as you could before um ir35 yeah, yeah. so, so certainly that yes it's 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 truly freelancer they have to do multiple projects or named projects they have to take meaningful breaks if they only work for you as a sole um as a sole agency you know we, sometimes we can get around by putting folks on fixed term contracts which sometimes they don't want to do so it's just got yeah it has definitely impacted the, the, the freelance world i think for everybody not just for healthcare but but certainly we use freelancers a lot to your point it's it's we, it's had an impact um and then one of the things we're looking to do is expand the talent pool so if there's only a finite number of people with x years of healthcare comms experience then we've got to look elsewhere or we We've got to grow from underneath or we've got to find more diverse and, and different talent with different experiences as well so that's that's something that that, that we and many others are, are looking to do in addition um because this you know this 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 sector is going to continue to thrive and we need great people to work with us brilliant um corin and nicole thank you so much for coming on the show Thank, Thank you very, very much. much for having us. Thanks for listening to the PR Moment podcast, produced in association with the Marketeers Network. If you'd enjoyed the show, please do review us on iTunes and give us a decent rating.